One, two. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you. I'm Dean. Good to be back. Fun one today. The redux of an interview and some other sloppy topics. Uh, joining me to uh, have a nice little chit-chat today on a beautiful Tuesday morning in February as we round into the spring. Please welcome the host of the Charles Adler podcast. Not just a clever name, by the way. Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen. Nice to see you, Charlie. There, there. Thank you, see, you very much. Did you ever see So I Married an Axe Murder? You ever see that? There, there. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie. You ever see that? Charlie. Yeah. No? I'll tell you, I just want the I just want Canadians who I love and Americans yeah. who I love and everyone else who uh, watches and listens to this uh, to know that there are very few guys that I would shave my legs for. This guy right here. I shaved my legs in high school. And Dean Blundell is not one of them. <laughs> Why does that comfort me for some reason? <laughs> really glad I'm not that guy. I'm doing, I'm doing this I'm doing this stuff as shtick because uh, we got a lot of we got a lot of nut jobs out there who are accusing us. <laughs> what are they accusing us of now? What everything. are we being accused? Oh, everything. I, I, I stay out of the comments now, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, yeah. I stay out of the comments. I, in, I, I have because I I'm have. like, I, I listen. I nothing you say matters. Like it doesn't. I've cut off the replies, uh, and you? some of them are angry with me about that. I just, I get they. They think it's because they offended me. They, they don't offend me. They, they bore me. You know, it's a 100%. big rule in show business: don't be predictable. And the nut jobs are just predictable. You know, they keep uh, throwing the uh, Trudeau blackface memes at me and calling me a a cock and a. Uh, Libtard, uh, you know all all of all of, all of that stuff. So I, you know, I'm, I'm having a little bit of little bit of fun with them, but I've uh, cut off the replies. Attaboy. Um, yeah. yeah, I do that from time to time. Actually, I do it quite a bit. And the reason why is because I don't care. You know, it's funny because a lot of people, when you're on Twitter or you're on social media, you're like you got blocked replies. You're a you're a baby. <laughs> what are you running away from? Censorship. I don't care. Censorship. I, it, like like you have to be able to care to have yeah. someone's manipulation work. <laughs> to, to your point, it's boring. Like, well, you know, none of my followers, billionth, billionth yeah. black faced photo. I'm like, yeah. yeah, OK, I get it. You're racist. Like, well, it doesn't offend you. You re use it as a weapon. Re replies is a neighborhood that nobody wants to live in. And I, I'm not just about my replies. I mean, I just it doesn't matter. I, I will sometimes, you know, sample the replies that all kinds of people get. And it's always the same. It's just like this. There's this template of, of how to be a stupid replier. And obviously, many of them are bots, but many of them are impersonating the bots. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's that's just that. But I, I try to have some, what you know, in the tweets that I do, I do poke some fun at them. And uh, well, I see this is a thing here. Now. Oh, yeah, of course you do. You're one of the best at it. Like they're they're poker. they're you're a troller and a poker. A that's poker. You do. I like yeah, you're. Poke. I like the poke. <laughs> yeah. Poke, 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 well, poke. so do we. And then you. And here's the thing. This is what this is the psychology of online social media. Is uh, that is that you know you you say something and you poke or you say something someone doesn't like and you get the formula of response of like yeah. you don't know what you're talking about pp for 10 years like <laughs> trudeau blackface he's a, great, he's a nda trudeau's, trudeau's, trudeau's castro's child yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yes i've seen it all yes 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 and so, to because what happens is, is when uh, because we run a business, right? Like, yes. prior media is a business, and you get people that social, like, social media bombing in your replies, right? And I just let everybody in on some secrets in the online world, yeah. Where you've got uh, agencies like uh, Canada Proud, or you got agencies like uh, any agency, any agency that's trying to kill a narrative, any agency that's trying to get people to change their mind or opinion, there's a thing called reply bombing. Right. And to do that effectively, you need thousands of bots and trolls like thousands, real fake. Yeah. Most of them are fake. Like 76 percent of the interaction you see on Twitter is actually not mm -hmm. real. It's inorganic. And I'll explain that later. But, you know, I, I don't want to go on a big Twitter thing. But my point is this. Is that when you shut your replies off, it ends the disinformation conversation. It ends right. the ability that people have to be able to say, you know, you should feel bad about this or here's an alternative piece of information you didn't think of that's total bullshit and meant to do nothing but anger everybody else in the actual replies. And because we drive a ton of traffic, you know, two, three, four thousand likes, couple thousand retweets, 
you get thousands of replies and yes. in that's your chat room right that's your like <laughs> your free reject can't figure out 4chan <laughs> chat room and so when i watch these guys do it i'm like you know how you know what really pisses them off if you don't give them the opportunity to do it yeah and well, so yeah, for yeah, me yeah. that's yeah. trolling in itself is shutting off my replies and who gives a shit what other i I, I just uh, want to give uh, those um agents of misinformation and disinformation a, a bit of a break I'm, I'm helping you out guys I'm, you know you're you're tired you must be so tired <laughs> so fatigued calling me a cock and a commie and an agent yeah. of communist china and all the all the other creative yeah. stuff you do yeah i just i just want to give you a bit of a rest yeah that's nice of you that's nice because they got to be tired they've been at this for three strong years chuck like i'd be exhausted if all i did was go made you too for three years 12 hours a day for eight bucks an hour i'd be so tired but my my, my favorite thing is that they are honestly believing that i am a, a communist i'm a marxist i'm a socialist they have no idea about business like none none <laughs> they, they don't understand that this is a business and I'm a businessman. No different under, than you. I have dude, no use for socialism. They don't understand zero. the difference between communism and, and fascism. Like well, that's no, the, I, well, I, yeah, that's true too. But I'm just <laughs> saying that the idea, the idea that I'm not for the private sector. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah. Oh, I know you are. Uh, trust me, I work with you. I know you are very much for the private sector. I know you no. understand how business works. I know you are a capitalist. Uh, and I know you actually know uh, everybody in the ecosystem of the political machinery with which we talk about. And yesterday, I wanted to get your reaction because yeah. we had David Parker on the program uh, from Take Back Alberta, director of Take Back Alberta. An hour and 30 odd minutes, my microphone cut out, which is this weird glitch that happens every time you yeah. hit record. Sometimes you got to go back and double check. My fault. I didn't check it. But people didn't come for me. They came because they wanted to hear this enigmatic dude that doesn't do media interviews do a media interview in real time. And and part of the deal was, and I'll get let you in on some of the the short strokes of how it happened, is when he tweeted about Jenny Byrne, and I've got the tweet here, which is kind of what kicked it off. Jenny Byrne and Pierre Paul you have a couple of days ago. You and I haven't covered this. Uh, saying, I feel sorry for Anita Polyev, Pierre Polyev's wife. He's the leading candidate in the race for the prime minister's office in this country by like 17 points. She has to watch her husband spend hundreds of hours a month with his old friends with benefit. I'm sorry your husband doesn't give you the respect you deserve, Anita. No man should be spending that much time with the woman he used to sleep with. If he is married, he then followed that up with, uh, which he has since apologized for, but the tweet's still up. His prerogative, his account. Uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Byrne tweet. She is, of course, uh, the senior advisor to Pierre Polyev, apparently used to be friends with benefits with Pierre. Uh, she is a lobbyist. She has been in the news recently. She is a, a, the, the, a bulldog. She's the bulldog in the conservative party. And she's got the conservative party in a culture hot country up by 17 points. So she's slightly successful. Uh, anyway, he replied to one of the tweets. She had a bottle of vodka in the tweet. And saying, uh, oh, look, it's Jenny, the loser alcoholic. Remember the 2015 war room when you drank all day and Harper wanted to fire you. I remember. Now, we had Harp, uh, Parker on the show last night. He kind of went through in detail. I asked him specifics uh, for about a half an hour, just, just on the tweet yeah. and broke it down. And um, you watched the interview. Your thoughts? Well, if I'm a Jenny Byrne, I got to be very, very happy with, uh, with that interview because that interview proved that uh, Jenny Byrne didn't want uh, Parker around and fired him. And Parker said that, you know, fired, he was fired. So it was a clear case of a disgruntled ex-employee. But in the course of Parker's interview, you know, he proved uh, to Jenny Byrne and all other, you know, master strategists like Jenny Byrne, and she's one of the, the top strategists of, of, of all time. And you don't have to take it from me. You can take it uh, from all of the people who invested big money in Jenny Byrne and all of the successful races that she's run. But, you know, Dave, David Parker proved last night why uh, why Jenny Byrne got rid of her, got rid of him and, and uh, won't uh, be accessing, you know, his, uh, quote, assistance, unquote. And David Parker is absolutely masterful at uh, developing uh, followers uh, in Alberta and elsewhere. But uh, David Parker and Jenny Byrne are on two different planets as far as national strategy is concerned. And Pierre Polyev is extremely lucky uh, to have uh, Jenny Byrne in his life. I could give a rat's ass, uh, you know, what uh, Pierre Polyev uh, does in his uh, private life. 
Uh, he doesn't bother me about my private life. I don't bother him about his private life. With me, it's strictly business. It's just business. He knows that. And it's about his, his public life. So I, I criticize Pierre Polyev regularly. And I don't criticize Jenny Byrne because Jenny Byrne is a back rumor. She's a strategist. And rather than uh, criticize her, I'd uh, just as soon uh, tell it like it is, like I always do. Uh, anyone who has uh, Jenny Byrne in their organization, any public person who has Jenny Byrne in their, public, uh, in, in their organization, whether it's a major company, because she does uh, lobbying for many companies, so whether it's a major firm or a major political player, Jenny Byrne is an asset. And, of course, David Parker knows that, and he proved that in the one hour and, and 55 minutes that he did with you. That was an hour and 55? I thought it was an hour and a half. There you go. I learned something. I didn't know how long I was on with Parker for. For anyone, um, for anyone watching it, by the way, because uh, I know people have a relatively <clears throat> low attention span, and uh, you know, for people who are worried that you'd have to watch, you know, over, over an hour, almost two hours, you don't. Uh, thirty minutes, you get everything in the first thirty minutes that uh, David Parker has to offer, and I have no doubt that many people watching will absolutely love David Parker and see him as a very, very sincere person who wants to root out corruption, who cares deeply about the truth mm -hmm. and doesn't care uh, what the collateral damage may be, uh, even among people that he personally knows, like Danielle Smith, who may be collaterally damaged. Danielle Smith is another incredibly smart individual. Uh, I disagree with uh, you know some of her politics. Uh, that That's clear in terms of my public life, but I have nothing but respect for Danielle Smith, the, the human being. And uh, I, I got to meet Danielle Smith for the first time many, many years ago. And it was just obvious to me uh, way back in, I guess, 2001. So we're talking about over 20 years ago. It was obvious to me that Danielle Smith was going to go as far as she wanted to go. I had no doubt that she'd become premier of Alberta, like absolutely zero doubt about that. My only question at the time when I first met her was, would she become the prime minister of Canada? Mm, interesting. Uh, that kind of uh, makes me uh, perks up a little red flag in my head in, in terms of why, you know, David Parker might be going after Pierre Polyev and Jenny Byrne. And um, to your point, you know, yesterday's interview, uh, it'll be a series of interviews with Mr. Parker. And it, it, he trusts me for some reason. And, it, you know, we're fairly centrist. We do not, you know, lean on uh, any culture. We go after character. I am Canadian first. Everything else is second. I'm a human being. And I think that we approach everything from the perspective of our ideology, right? And so I watched David Parker espouse that. And you're 100% right. Outside the audio issue that I had, you can actually go in, in the first half hour, 35 minutes, uh, you get all the reasoning behind why David Parker is David Parker and what he's been able to do. Uh, and to your point, you need to recognize the difference between two things, right? And I think anytime you talk to anybody, you have to do this. Is we have competing interests. We have very different ideologies. I am an atheist. He definitely is not. He believes there is room for his perspective to be represented in some type of electorate and that other people have that same sort of religious bent and the same sort of values. So that is what he is promoting and protecting. And that is why you are seeing some of the policies happening the way they're happening in the province of Alberta. And I challenged him on every single one of those. You know, and, and, and the interesting part was he is receptive. And I know that reception really counts on the environment. Like you're on a big interview with somebody here and he's, you know, in Alberta, I'm in Toronto. He's got a big audience. He's got a big platform. But I agreed with him on some of those things, too. Right. And and I think through the, the forest, through the trees and you can say what you like about uh, what he stands for. You can say what he, what you like about, you know, whether or not this is a personal vendetta, which he admitted it is. A portion of it is a personal vendetta. He's wrapped all of his vendettas up into one package. And this is the result. He wants to drive a result. He wants to get Jenny Byrne out. And so when I think about yesterday's interview, which I didn't, you and I chatted about it briefly last night. Um, I think two things. I think, A, right, people get vilified according to the narrative that's told about them. Right. And they never have a chance to say anything. And then they get pushed back into these, you know, cisterns and they're like, I'm, I'm just going to and they get angrier. They get more resentful. That wasn't what I wanted with Mr. Parker. I wanted Mr. Parker to be able to explain himself about certain issues. I wanted to hear from him why he is the way he is. And we got that in the first 35 minutes, as you pointed out. Right. 
But the interesting part for me in that interview was, and I pointed this out to you earlier, there were people that commented on this, even though I don't read replies, a couple of them were interesting. The people DM me, they said, the terrifying thing is, I agree with what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. And what he's trying to accomplish, Chuck, and, and it, you know, say what you like, but I've been saying this for a long time. First principles is that the, the political ecosystem and the way the business of politics is conducted in this country is wrong. And we have become apathetic and we have just decided we're going to allow politicians to continue to abuse the privilege of our vote. I agreed with him on that. Thoughts? Well, I, one of the one of the problems I had uh, with uh, what he was doing was he also included uh, Anita Polyev on his uh, his hit list. And he's convinced that uh, Mr. Polyev's wife has said nasty things about him and has started rumors or um, well, he said she was a political rumors. operative. Like yeah. he said she wasn't just his wife who was yeah. just, you know, a happy housewife. He said she is a, right. a deep state political operative to some extent. Right. But spouses tend to protect other spouses. I have zero doubt that regardless of what kind of innuendos uh, he made about uh, Polyev and Jenny Byrne and all of that this stuff, I have absolutely zero doubt that Pierre Polyev looks out for his wife and is protective of his wife. And I have absolutely no doubt that uh, Mrs. Polyev, Anita Polyev, is protective of him. And so when it comes to any animus that Anita has with David Parker, it's because he wants to. she wants to protect him from him. She doesn't think that uh, David Parker has anything to add, anything to enhance as far as Pierre Polyev's uh, ambitions are concerned and, and his goals. And it's the same with Jenny Byrne. There's no, no doubt in my mind that Jenny Byrne is a watchdog and a bulldog and a protector of Pierre Polyev, and she will take down anyone uh, who gets in the way of their common goals. And so David Parker's real problem is there's a moat there. You know, there's a castle, and Polyev, Mr. Polyev is in the castle, and Jenny and Anita, <clears throat> Jenny Byrne and Anita Polyev are guarding that moat and preventing David Parker and others from coming in. And so, you know, he can talk about uh, trying to clean up politics and all the rest of it. And while he was talking about cleaning up politics, he also talked about feelings and facts. And he made fun of a very, very popular uh, right-of-center uh, podcaster, uh, Ben Shapiro, also an author and a very, very, very a smart commentator. Yeah, I disagree with uh, some of his perspectives, like I disagree with a lot of people's perspectives. But Ben Shapiro is another whip-smart person. And there's uh, David Parker saying that, uh, you know, Shapiro has it wrong uh, because uh, Ben Shapiro says something like, uh, you know, facts aren't feelings, which isn't anything uh, new. Uh, first heard that First heard that expression I, over half a century ago, I think, before Ben Shapiro was even born. So facts aren't feelings. Then he said something else about the importance of feelings over facts when it comes to communication. And so there's, uh, you know, David Parker for all this stuff about the truth and honesty and the Canadian way and blah, 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 blah. There's David Parker saying to you that when it comes to political communications, one has to appeal to the feelings, to feelings, not facts. One has to appeal to the emotions, uh, not, uh, not the intellectual, uh, not the mind. You've got to bypass the mind. I'm not saying that he's incorrect about that. People involved in advertising do that. People involved in politics do that. Left, right, center, you name it. But I'm just simply saying that for a guy who wants to be perceived as caring only about the truth, mm -hmm. the honest-to-God truth, I'm sorry. He undermines that position like he undermined a lot of his other positions by saying that feelings, feelings trump facts. Feelings are more important than facts. And the masterful strategy that he has developed in Alberta is all about the feelings. That's why when it comes to the important issue that you raised, and I, I think it's a very important issue because I think exploiting vulnerable people to make political points yeah. is immoral. There, I said it. I don't use that word very often. It's immoral. It's unethical. It's obscene. And I think the trans policy that uh, David Parker and others are promulgating using Danielle Smith as uh, their particular vehicle to do this, because I don't think that Danielle Smith's position on, on trans people is her genuine position. I think the position 
uh, she put out there years ago uh, in the legislature is her genuine position. It's a libertarian position. It is not a social conservative position. But anyway, uh, she's in bed now with the social conservatives politically, and David Parker is useful to her. But when David Parker talks about honesty and uh, no corruption and all that wonderful stuff, but he goes after trans people, I'm sorry, he crosses the line and once again undermines his position as a truth teller. Yeah, yesterday uh, during the interview, I think it was like maybe the halfway point, three-quarter point, um, you know, I, I told him my position on, uh, you know, Abrahamic faith people being in politics. I believe that if you are a religious zealot, if you've dedicated your, your entire life to uh, religion, and this is just my perspective, and that was the pleasure of being able to have a conversation with someone with diametrically opposed positions, right? Is that I said, hey, listen, I don't think people born again Christians, uh, you know, Muslim extremists, any extremists in any Abrahamic faith or any religion should be allowed to be in office. And he's like, oh, so you're going to marginalize that group of people. Like, you know, you know basically it's, you know, he accused me of marginalizing a small group. And I said, listen, it's interesting you bring that up. Did I engineer the whole thing? Maybe a little bit. Um, I said, you know, what are you doing? To, why are you doing this to trans kids? What are you doing to them? And I impressed upon him the teenager, the young teenage trans boy who took his life a few days ago. His uh, uncle was on the breakdown with Nate Pike. And it was very emotional. Um, just, so everyone knows, like- just so everyone knows, this is right in David Parker's backyard. Mm-hmm. This is in Alberta, where he is the architect of the trans policy in Alberta that uh, Daniel Smith's government is executing, and a person died. A person took his life over the weekend, and the father of this person says that the reason this young trans teenager committed suicide yeah. was as a result, or at least partially as a result, of uh, the, the policies uh, being discussed by, by, by the David Parkers of the world. And I don't think I heard, I could be wrong, uh, I don't think I heard David uh, Parker take any responsibility for that i don't think that david parker said I, I may have blood on my hands and i may have to self-reflect i i, d- I didn't hear those words from from the truth-telling david parker the dean blundell show is brought to you by factcheck.io factcheck.io makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, want to beta test their product? They're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K. .io. Back to the show. No, and that might not be his truth, which is the disconcerting part for me, right? When you have these conversations is that you can usually drill down on someone's intention by having a conversation with them. And his intention was to skirt that portion of it for sure. Um, and it really, really, really bothers me. And we're going to continue that conversation. And, um, you know, you cannot affect change in any capacity like there are a bunch of things going on here with david parker and a lot of people that, that commented yesterday saying that i gave him a pass no uh-uh. um you know i'm not going to take him on when it comes to stupid shit that we all know is is ridiculous and i did where he was blaming trudeau actually forgiving him for um for the lockdowns and mandates those were all provincial reminded him several times to which he was like yeah 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 um but you could tell that he was trying to drive a result, right? And that result was not in a compassionate result. And you got receipts of that over and over and over again. So when I, th- the purpose of having a conversation with someone like him isn't about, and I want to remind people, you know, it's not about feeding somebody or obstructing somebody or giving you a fight to watch. It's about trying to make incremental change and get information from somebody that you want. That's why we do interviews, right? That's why I do them. And when I agreed to do the David Parker interview, it was for a couple of reasons. One is the guy is legitimately one of the most enigmatic political animals in this country, right? What he's been able to do has been otherworldly. And the, the things that he espouses are in direct contrast to the values that I hold to be very important. Very, very, very important. Courage, wisdom, temperance, justice. Those are very important. The virtues that I live by are my God. They are. My operating system comes 
through a series of hard knocks in a life that I've had to go out and kind of figure out the ability to reason. And where I've landed at is anybody that uses any kind of religious institution to be able to treat other people poorly is 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 the focus of my attention, my professional attention these days. And right now it sits in the world of politics and character being what it is. You cannot effectively drive change unless you're having a conversation with somebody and you're able to defend your position based on what you know about them. And you don't know anything about that person unless you have a conversation and ask questions. That's why we do preparation. That's why we prep in this business is I want to know everything about somebody before I have a conversation where I have the ability to say, hey, listen, you're wrong and here's why. And where it mattered yesterday when it came to lockdowns, his anger, uh, the way that he portrayed Canada as as this uh, lockdown mandate ha- uh, unhappy place, uh, the way that he, he portrayed Justin Trudeau as ruining this country. I don't agree with him. I don't believe Justin Trudeau's ruined this country. I believe that we live in an extraordinary time where you've got competing interests that have the ability to militarize groups of people into doing things we have never seen before. And I also believe And I really do believe this, Chuck. And this is why I'm in this. You and I have several conversations about this, and I'm passionate about it. I'm apolitical, but I'm passionate about it. I also do believe we have a responsibility as Canadians to be able to lay things out in ways that make it easy for people to understand the intention of certain people that are bringing this kind of information and environment to your doorstep. That is what yesterday's interview was for me. It was like, hey, listen. You want to know what this guy's about? Everybody's angry at this guy. I disagree with this uh, gentleman strongly to the point where he said to me yesterday in the interview, I don't follow you on Twitter because you shit post me. He's right. And I told him I'd do the interview only under the assumption that I got to speak my mind. And I did. And I told him how I felt. And that is never going to stop. But we're not going to sit here in effect, any change, or we're not going to progress as people if we're just feeding the algorithm and trying to prove to everybody out there how smart we are on our side. What you can do, though, is you can show people really the intention of individuals in this space by having a conversation and asking strategic questions and letting them do it for you. That is what this business is all about for me. For me, there are people out there who don't want that. They want weapons. They want I want you to ask this. Like, I got 15 questions from a friend of mine yesterday who's like, yeah, the interview was incredible. It was great. The guy's, uh, you know, just an electric factory of clicks. But I wish you would have stopped at the 12-minute mark and taken him to task on this. I wish you would have stopped at the 22-minute mark and taken him to task on this. Uh, That's not how we do things. That's not how I do things. And I think people got a chance to see who the real individual was. Sorry, I've been talking for nine. I'm just, no, no, I'm just texting uh, David Parker, telling him that Dean is is destroying you, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, but here's the thing: just, I I'm like just having fun. No, I, I, listen. I mean, both of you, okay, bo- both of you deserve a lot of credit. A lot of people don't want to invite David Parker uh, to their podcast. They don't want to give a platform to David Parker, and there are a lot of people who do what David Parker do who don't have the courage to go on with uh, people who are diametrically opposed to just about everything they're about. And you're one of them. So I think uh, Parker deserves a, a lot of credit uh, for being on with you last night and for agreeing to do a series of exclusive interviews with you. And I think you deserve a, a lot of credit for, uh, for for inviting him. I mean, you know, you've got no ego in the game here. You know, if, if you were only about ego, you would only invite those people who absolutely agree with you on, on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if that was the case, you wouldn't have me on with you because we, we, we disagree, uh, on a lot of stuff. And here it is, uh, the, the day after you've got certain views of what happened last night and I've got, I've got, I've got some different views. Uh, but, uh, both of you, you know, b- bottom line is that, uh, Canadians and Americans and anyone else who wants to listen to this kind of dialogue, they will get brutal honesty, uh, when they hear Dean and David together because uh, it is just unfortunately extremely rare in today's environment anywhere in the world to hear people who are at opposing poles on the spectrum actually engaging each other uh, without uh, a whole bunch of uh, unnecessary name calling 
Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, we we've co- we call each other names still in our DMs, but um, yeah, I appreciate that. You know what? And and listen, everything is subjective. The things that you you take in, the content you you take in, you want to drive a result, or you're hoping for something. I, I lower those expectations. We don't live in that world anymore, everybody. Lower your expectations. That's what we should call this podcast from now on. Lowered I, expectations. I have. I've said to people who get uh, really uh, sanctimonious about the the lack of truth and ethics out there in the in the real world, uh, and they get they sort of wrap themselves in the, the garments of sanctimony. Uh, sanctimony. I'm pure. Nobody nobody is as pure as me. And I always I always say things to them like, "Look, if you lower your expectations, you will not be disappointed, because there's 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 nothing worse in this life." Than going around feeling you're the only one, you're the only pure one. You know, you're you're the Messiah, and everyone else is someone who needs your help. I yeah. detected a little bit of. I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to pretend to be one on the radio or TV or the pod, but I, I detected a little bit of a a messianic complex in in David Parker. And if I've trespassed, if I've gone over the line, um, you're someone who unfortunately was, and I, I have to say it severely exploited as a youth by people who did feel that they were either uh, messiahs or representatives of the messiahs. And I think that's one reason why you've got uh, a great deal of antipathy toward religion, which I, I don't. I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about uh, about uh, most faiths. Uh, you know, I, I've always believed that uh, uh, many people uh, would, would not have the lives they have, the happy lives they have, without uh, some faith informing uh, their values. Uh, while I, you know, I mentioned this to Others uh, in the in the recent past, while I have uh, a, a certain heritage, it's it's called Jewish, and I've said that you know some people find that interesting, and I certainly find it interesting. Uh, the truth is, I, I grew up in a very Christian world, and uh, some people think it's politically incorrect to say that. I, I don't give a rat's rear end whether it's uh, wh- whether it's politically incorrect. If you grew up in Canada in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. You grew up in a Christian world. Now, it's, it's talked about as a Judeo-Christian world. It's talked about as a Western world, a Western civilization. Western civilization used to be known as Christendom. The most important, the most influential, philosophical core of Western civilization for many, many years has been Christianity. And I see no need to walk away from it. Now, when I look at Christianity, and I most of my overwhelming majority of my clients and my my personal and public relations have been with with nominally Christian people. I'm not saying that they were all fundamentalist Christians. I'm not saying they were all evangelical Christians. That's not the point. But they came from the Christian world. And whether they were Protestants or Catholics, they came from the Christian world. And they inspired much of the entertainment, much of the culture. And yes, that's, that's what I grew up with. And frankly, that's what everybody in my world grew up with. And to deny that, I think, is to deny reality. So sometimes uh, the, the part of me that has a great deal of respect for a core Christian values, for the teachings of Jesus Christ, sometimes I am really bothered by some Christians, some Christians like David Parker, who claims that his interpretation is the only interpretation. And so he, I think, gives a lot of fodder and a lot of fuel uh, to the fundamentalists who I think, many of whom, many of whom, when they get involved in politics and they try to make uh, politics uh, a part of uh, their wing of Christianity, I think they do give often Christians a bad name, and I think they also give politics and democracy a bad name. Yeah, any kind of nationalist perspective, whether it's driven from extremism, it doesn't matter how you get to that point. Uh, and to your point, I know whenever we talk about religion, you always like to preface your what you're going to say with, I know you disagree with me. I 100% do. <laughs> like, I, 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 I really do. And I do because of personal experience, right? Yeah. And there is, you know, at, at this point, there is no resentment. That's why I'm able to have that conversation with David Parker. I find none of his belief system, like I find this with Christians Muslims, none of it offends me. Catholics, nobody offends me. What offends me are the extremes of each one of those organizations that misrepresent the whole and how those communities don't do anything about it. 
they'll just continue to ride whatever coattails because they have loosely held beliefs that they've adopted from some dude that tells them what to do on a Sunday morning. So personal experiences matter. You've got your personal experiences and here's my personal experience in 60 seconds or less. I would not be alive without the generosity of people with core Christian values. A Christian man saved my father, smuggled him across the border. That's what saved him from Auschwitz. A Christian man did that. A Christian man named Raul Wallenberg and his mission in Budapest, in the ghetto, in the Budapest ghetto, the Jewish ghetto, he, his mission allowed my mother to live. So without my mother and my father, I am not alive. And, uh, you know, what I'm talking about is, 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 is something that just didn't happen to me and for me. It happened for many, many people. And so, yes, when I hear attacks on, on Christianity itself, um, I do get my, my backup. I owe my life uh, to people with core Christian values. Uh, I was uh, raised with many. I was coached by many. Uh, that included, uh, you know, debate coaching. That included media coaching. That, that included every aspect of my life. So this isn't me trying to be an evangelical. I'm not proselytizing. I'm just telling the truth as I see it based on my personal experiences. Totally. And I love that. I, I do. And, and listen, I, I enjoy these conversations. It's like it's funny. You get, everybody gets their backup. And when, when you're talking about apologetics or doctrine or when you're talking about what you believe and how you got there. And it's, and it's interesting because a lot of people don't believe, and this was the part of the conversation, it was at the back half of the Parker conversation where I wanted to talk about faith and politics. I've been asking them to talk about it for months. Um, you know, and everybody's entitled to believe whatever they believe. And, and I like that. I like having those conversations because you, you learn about it. The problem that I have with that faith is that I know all about it. And I know there are 40,000 denominations of that faith and certain levels of extremism. So I come from a family. Listen, I come from a family of Christians. My brother is a reverend in the Christian church, right? My family does missions work. My fam- my entire family continues to support sending aid to different countries through Christian organizations, and they own them, okay? I come at this perspective with, uh, you know, you talk about 10,000 hours. It's got to be 50. got to be 60,000 hours in that doctrine, Le- legitimately. So. I hold back, generally speaking, which might be a shocker, uh, on what I know to be incongruent with common sense that comes from certain faiths. Because you're taught to literally defeat common sense with apologetics. They teach you what to say, what to do. When you're in high school, Bible school, Bible college, vacation, Bible camp, it's, it's go, go, go. Here's how you defend your faith. Here's how you convert people. Here's how you bring them into the tent. And, and I'm not going to arrow down as to the reasons why recruiting is important in the church. It doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is, is that I understand it, right? And so for the past several years, I've struggled watching aspects of it get included in everything from vaccine mandates to uh, protests to convoys to social unrest. And my parents are what I would consider to be really good people, good Christian people who don't subscribe to that level of extremism. And they were confused by it like you were confused by it. So I had this wrestling match in my head, right, of, man, you know, I know this to be uh, something that I subscribe to. I've seen the extreme parts of it. I do not share that ideology. And I know my parents and my family are not that. They're not that. They're not that hateful, angry. None of that is, as they say in that faith, Christ-like, right? Hating trans people and teaching trans kids that there's something wrong with them and marginalizing them and taking the right is not Christ-like if you look at Christ as a philosopher, which I believe he was. I believe he said a lot of really cool things. I really do. However, when we sit and have a conversation about it, there's never an intellectual or academic approach to it. It starts off at nine, dude, especially online, right? Like we, you and I can have a conversation about it, I can tell you the dangers of any extremist faith or any misrepresentation of certain aspects of faith. We know religion is an opium for the masses. I get all that stuff, but there's a need for people to believe in something. There's a need for people to adopt an operating system. So listen, 
good, great, good. I'm, I'm happy people have belief systems that they derive from religion. However, the issue that I have is the misrepresentation of those things, right? And that's my personal experience. So that's why I'm here and that's why you're there. And that's how that's why I want to have these conversations with guys like Parker, because I'm like, hang on, wait a second. All that sounds familiar. And I left that stuff for a reason. Let's now have a conversation about it because I have the ability to understand it, as do you. Not many people do. They just get offended right out of the gate. And then there's no conversation. It's like, let's fight. You believe that. I believe this. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm freaking tired of fighting. I just said friggin' for the first time out of respect for you. So I wouldn't say Thank the you. F word. Thank you. Isn't that God, nice. God bless you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. By the way, you're not, you're not, you're not really bothered by the fact that no matter what you espouse in terms of agnosticism and stoicism and, and, and all of that, I mean, you're, you're not really um, bothered by the fact that I still see you as a nominally uh, Christian man, because you were raised in a Christian family with oh. Christian values. And while you may not accept uh, Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you still admire the teachings of Jesus. Oh, dude. A hundred percent. Okay. All right. Jesus is like Epictetus, is like Marcus Aurelius, is like Seneca, is like Aristotle, is like right. Plato, is like Confucius, is like Buddha All right. to me. Because I've said to a lot of people who have, you know, antithetical, uh, you know, stuff about uh, right. about Christians, I, I've said to them, look, you, you may not like uh, certain Christians, you not, may not like the, the kind of political business they do and all the rest of it, but please read the Sermon on the Mount. Please read that. It's one Absolutely. of the most inspiring uh, pieces that you'll you'll ever read, um, and uh, it's about the interpretation of love in Corinthians. Yeah. It might be one of the most beautiful pieces of literature right. ever written. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not I'm not opposed to uh, humanity being inspired by love, mm -hmm. uh, including including the love of Christ. I'm I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I, I care about outcomes. I care about how people behave, but when people behave in hateful ways. And blame Jesus for that. Yeah, I get my backup. Jesus is not the architect of trans policy uh, in the American or Canadian right wing. Don't please do not blame Jesus for that. No, no. And, and that is a great point. You know, I don't have any hatred for anything that Jesus said. I have a misrepresentation hatred of the things that people think he said. Right. And. And there, to your point, I hold a lot of those values. Stoicism is, um, you know, just to let people in it, stoicism is a, is a philosophy that I hold very important in my life. It's given me virtues, values, the ability to respond well to life. But I dip, dip into other disciplines of mindful philosophy. And I believe Buddhism was a philosophy. I do not believe in an alternative creator. I, in fact, I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I'm not... I don't have enough hubris because there is no proof. And so when I think about what it is that is important to me, it's important to me that I believe this because it benefits me, right? And I want everybody to experience the things that I experience. However, my brain operates at a different level than, than your brain or than anybody else's brain. We're all very, very different people, 9 billion people that have a different ability to understand, comprehend. And so what I want for other people is to experience the happiness, peace of mind and the congruent sense that life makes me. But they want the same thing because they wouldn't be living by those rules if they didn't feel like it was right for them. So they want to share that with everybody. Right. They want everybody to believe this. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Right. I think that's one of those things in religion that, you know, people go, I found this incredible thing. I'm so happy. And, you know, it might be an emotional thing. It might be this this psychological thing. It might be a spiritual thing. I don't know. I can't speak to it. And, th and then they go out and they share that good news with other people because it made a big difference in their lives. That's a conversion experience. And then everybody wants to go and share or proselytize and tell people what's made a difference and what's brought me peace and what's brought me joy. It's the same reason that I, I and a lot, a lot of people know this, I work with people that have drinking problems that want to get their shit together men specifically no women i work with men who are like still childish still immature and and very rarely do you get a dude who comes to you and he says this is the best life ever that's why i'm here right you, you get a guy that comes to you and says i'm tired of living like this i need to convert i need to have a better life so if you transport 
you know, this knowledge of anybody who's an extreme issue like David Parker last night uh, left the church at 25, decided to drink. I don't I can't speak to drug use. He's made allusions to it, was miserable, decided to reengage in his faith, had a conversion experience. And now he's a warrior for that ideology because it's made a difference in her life, in his life. So my point is, and I think we're driving the same point home, everybody acts according to their personal experience. It's this cognitive bias that we take with us everywhere we go. Dean, let me let me get into the drinking thing, because that was yeah. a, a piece of uh, last night's uh, conversation with David Parker, where I think there, too, uh, David Parker realized that he had uh, trespassed. And in his apology to Jenny Byrne, I think, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but I, I think I, I heard him say uh, that he, uh, as, a, as a person who is a recovering alcoholic, um, was over the line when he accused uh, Jenny Byrne of, uh, of drinking and, and, and mocked her uh, for that. Uh, if you uh, attend Alcoholics Anonymous and you're a recovering alcoholic, the last thing on earth that you're supposed to do, if you're serious about yeah. Uh, re- recovery is uh, make fun of other people uh, for drinking or possibly having a drinking problem. So this isn't, yeah. this isn't this isn't me uh, saying that uh, Jenny Byrne has a drinking problem. I, I don't know that she does, and frankly, it's none of my business. And more to the point, it's none of David Parker's business. And if David Parker is out to uh, expose Jenny Byrne as uh, some kind of person who's uh, not uh, advantaging the Conservative Party, which is one of the most ridiculous propositions I've ever heard, considering where the Conservative Party is today in the polls. How could anyone argue that uh, Jenny Byrne or that any any strategist working with Pierre Polyev is harming the Conservative Party? I think just that that's intellectually uh, dishonest, okay? Mm. there I said it. It's intellectually dishonest that that's, that's what she's doing. Uh, so he, he's, he's entitled to his opinion. Um, but, you know, I'm entitled to speak about the facts. The fact is the Polyev-Jenny Byrne uh, team has been extremely successful. So, but this idea of attacking her personally and uh, uh, t- attacking her for, um, you know, these these allegations that he made, especially considering the fact uh, that he is uh, trying to be a recovering alcoholic, I thought that was uh, somewhat um, in- inconsistent. Outside. Well, it was, it, was inconsi- it was inconsistent with what he claims to believe. So he believes yeah. he's all about truth and honesty and, and helping people. And mm-hmm. uh, th- those sweets don't show that. And the other thing is, uh, which I find disingenuous at best, is that he understands uh, how damaging those tweets are, not just to the people, the three people that he went after, which is Mr. and Mrs. Polyev and Jenny Byrne, okay? Uh, Pierre Polyev, Anita Polyev, and Jenny Byrne. He didn't. He didn't just apologize for going after them, but he did not follow up his apology by deleting the tweets. Now, so I'm just, I'm just asking you, you know, just as a pure ethical matter here, if you're sincere that you have trespassed, that you have violated values, your own values, and the values of all of your friends and associates, including Danielle Smith, mm-hmm. who was asked to asked him not to do the interview asked him to erase the tweets, asked him to get off Twitter, asked him to get help. So he's very honest about all of, all of his friends uh, who have uh, been really upset with him, disappointed and, and angry at this behavior. Uh, if, if he is sincerely apologizing, how can he maintain those tweets? I mean, the only, the only reason to keep those tweets up there is to keep attracting people uh, who want to either have fun with those things, uh, develop uh, animus uh, toward those people. But the point is, uh, it, it's very difficult for me to see him as 100% consistent with the words that he offered Dean Blundell last night when those tweets are still up there. Mm. So I just I just need to you know ask you the question, do those tweets that are, are still online, do they show you that David Parker is having trouble being consistent with his words, or does it say something else? 
I don't know, man. It's a great question because to your point and to backtrack a little bit, uh, you're right. And I, I, every year on my sober date, I write an article. It's like, I've been sober for these many years. Here's what's changed. And one thing I've never done is I've never called somebody else an alcoholic. And, he, and the reason why is because to your point, if you share that affliction, you don't, you don't, you don't use it to hurt somebody. It's just not something you do because you know the extreme hurt and the place that you were and how much work it took you to get to a point, how much humility it took to get there, right? And so he does not understand that. And if he does understand that and he is not true to making amends, that's what they call it uh, in the program, if you're not true to making amends and making amends is making it all right, not just part of it. So to your point, is he serious about making amends? You'd have to ask him. Um, you know, one of the, re- one of the reasons. That, no. One of the reasons I'm really proud of you and, and what you're doing, and uh, and some people may agree and, and others may disagree, and and that's fine. That that's what uh, makes for an interesting podcast. Is I honestly do think that you are helping him in doing these interviews with him and allowing him to expose his thoughts and his feelings and have get get feedback from other people in his life based on these conversations, I do think that you are being helpful to David Parker in his recovery. So I think beyond business and entertainment and continuing the, to, to have an honest dialogue and all of, all, of the, uh, all of those good things, I think beyond yeah. all of that, I think you are doing some good in helping a recovering alcoholic recover and, and stay recovered. Well, and, and, and a good put place to put a pin in this in this conversation. Um, and I'll tell people, you know, for lack of a better term, I have a couple of reputations that I don't curate. And I know you don't curate any of those reputations. Reputation is something you don't control. And I'm a big fan of the believer of the dichotomy of control. You get busy controlling the things you can, not worrying about things you can't. So let me just say for the record why I do what I do. Uh, because I've experienced life a certain way, and I believe it's my responsibility to help others, no matter how much you might like them or how much you might hate them, um, live a better life, right? It doesn't matter if it's a quiet person that I know that nobody understands who this person is, a captain of industry that doesn't drink anymore and now loves his family, all of those things. What matters to me is where I can affect change. So I can take the things that I've learned and I can affect change here a whole lot more than I can if I just say, hey, you know, you're an asshole on Twitter. Right. And and so when I work with a guy and I work with David Parker, I work with him on life. It's got nothing to do with what he believes. Right. And when I say work with him, that's what that interview is. It's not me giving everybody an opportunity. The reason why I like talking to people like him is because we share the same affliction. And I can't speak for Jenny Byrne, and I do not know if she has a drinking problem. That is her inventory. That is nobody else's. And I am happy to have a conversation with her about how she's doing as well. And so this is a platform. And it's amazing how embarrassed I was when I decided to quit drinking and admit that I had gone sideways. And what I thought I'd lose because of my addiction or my perceived addiction and where I was, right, with alcohol, just alcohol. And it's amazing what it gives me back. And so for everybody out there, and I really want to explain this to you, because this gives me an opportunity that everything in that tweet, everything in these conversations gives me an opportunity to talk to you. And that opportunity means a lot to me. So if we can affect a little bit of change and I can make people feel like, hey, listen, you know, there are people out there that struggle. Life is a journey and you're not doing anything wrong and you're not failing. If you ask for help, it's the most courageous thing in the world. I really believe that with all of my heart is that the most courageous thing you could do is ask someone who knows where the answers are for a little bit of help if you're struggling. So I would encourage everybody, no matter what you struggle with, if it's a mental addiction, if it's a substance addiction, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's anything, if you're struggling and you're miserable, ask for help. There are people out there who will help you. There are people out there who will act as your Sherpa. And listen, am I helping David Parker? My goal in life is to give it away so I can keep it, and I'll continue to help anybody. But what I don't do is compromise my values when we do it. So thank you, Charles. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Let for me uh, let me help uh, David Parker here uh, with some uh, some facts and feelings. He's very concerned about those two Fs. Mm-hmm. So David Parker, here's a fact. Fact is Jenny Byrne is one of the greatest assets the Conservative Party has ever had. One of the greatest assets Pierre Polyev has ever had. One of the greatest assets that many corporations in this country 
have ever had. She is a hit. She is a success. She is a strategy superstar. And so from a political and achievement perspective, when they hear you disparaging her and saying that she's a drinker, many people respond to that with, well, whatever she's having, I'd like to have. I'm having whatever she's having. This isn't to make fun of anybody who might have some kind of problem with alcohol. But your problem, David Parker, is not with alcohol. It's with envy. My grandmother taught me that envy was cancer and that people needed to check their inventory regularly and ask themselves whether they were motivated by envy. And so on behalf of my grandmother, Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you, David Parker, to ask yourself whether or not envy is in you and whether or not you are motivated by envy. You don't have to answer me, but I'd like you to ask yourself that question. You know, and it's a great question for everybody to ask themselves today. Envy uh, compromises your very self. It takes away your bandwidth to live a great life because you're not concentrated on what you can do for you today. You're just worried about other people or the things that they have that you don't. Uh, so as a lesson, thank you. I appreciate that. Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen, the Charles Adler podcast, anywhere you get your fine podcast. That is my mentor and friend. He's a good man. Thanks for doing this, brother. Canada, America, and the rest of the world, I love you very much uh, for tuning in. I don't care whether you subscribe, follow by you know listening or, or watching. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, this is the passion of my life. That's what public communications is. Uh, I have uh, been blessed for my entire life by having wonderful people uh, to ride with. And Dean Blundell is among the best. And Dean, I just want to thank you, uh, as always, uh, for giving me the opportunity to share this platform. Dude, my pleasure. Awesome to see you. I'll talk to you soon. Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at Charles Adler. You can find him on Twitter. Thanks to our partners for making this possible. Of course, our friends at Cantork. Uh, makers of hardworking, rugged torque wrenches, the best in the business for 20 years. They've been doing it. Every solution under one roof from custom fabrication to cleaning to rental to ownership. Doesn't matter. They manufacture in Canada as well. Torque wrenches for every heavy industry, nuclear, railroad, forestry. Uh, and they do it for business around the world. They are the best in manufacturing Canada. Proudly Canadian. Cantork.com today for more information. Muse on the Mic podcast. Go to anywhere you get your fine podcast and download the Muse on the Mic, M-I-C, on M-I-K-E. Uh, they got a Patreon channel. They've also got a YouTube channel as well. Sexologists, owners of Muse Massage Spa. They're educators and advocates for the sex work industry. And they take you behind the scenes of what they do at Muse Massage Spa, 1290 Finch Avenue West. Unit 13, Toronto, Ontario. Visit them today, but download their podcast. Trust me, you want it in your ears, gentlemen, especially at night. Uh, we're also brought to you by our friends at Ed's Fine Imports. His branded underwear, Gitch, engineered for any level of performance as well as everyday life. Buy three, get one free at Gitch 3. That is your promo code. Do it at checkout, and you'll get a free pair of underwear. They got four packs. They got singles, and you get 15% off your entire purchase when you check out. If you give them your email address, no spam, massive online clothing store, and I'm telling you, Luxury branded boxer brief are the business, especially Ed's Gitch, G-I-T-C-H, branded underwear. Big pouch, Canadian made, have to have a big pouch. Gitch3 is your promo code. Check them out. Buy them. Put them on yourself. Your nuts will thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and we're brought to you by factcheck.io, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Uh, no one believes what they read, and for good reason. Disinformation is it. It is the business. It is the thing that has divided society now for the past several years, and it's not going to get any better. So the good people at Fact Check are developing software that is a disinformation and misinformation killer. From pictures to spoken word to video, everything in real time, Fact Check sits above uh, artificial intelligence, and it gives you the full epistemology of what you might be reading on social media, any website, or things that you might see. Uh, check instantly. Find out if you believe. Join their beta testing team today. Go to factcheck.io, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Join their beta list, and you, my friends, will be on your way to testing the world's finest fact-checking software. I love these people. They're ninjas. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye.
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.